Welcome to Out of the Ordinary, the show that helps you grow a daily life that matters. I'm Christy Purifoy. And I'm Lisa Jo Baker, and I am both a mom and a motherless daughter. So I know how complicated Mother's Day can be. So I think this conversation, at least we hope, will be a kind companion this week, no matter how this holiday makes you feel. This episode was your idea, Lisa Joe, and I wasn't <laughs> so sure I wanted to go there. Motherhood, that's some complicated waters. But, oh, friend, I'm so glad we did, because this is not your typical Mother's Day conversation. Get comfy, friends. Here we go. So if you are a longtime listener of the show, then you will be familiar with what I'm about to say. If you're not, it's news to you. So the thing about Christy Purifoy, who is one of my oldest friends, I think you're my, I think I have one friend in South Africa I've known longer than I've known Christy. (laughs) But not only is Christy one of my oldest friends, Christy, in fact, even as I look at her right now, is in many ways like looking at my mother, (laughs) (laughs) which she knows because physically they look so similar. It is so weird. It's like... It's as if I get to be friends with what my mom <laughs> looked like at this age. <laughs> that makes me so happy. You've told me that before, and it really feels like the weirdest kind of privilege. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a strange thing, but it's true. So not only that, but I feel like over the years, Christy has, in fact, mothered me. One of my favorite Aww. things about going to stay at her house is that she <laughs> takes care of me. She has like my, it's kind of like going to see your mom. She has my favorite drinks in the fridge and my favorite snacks. And she talks movies with me and I come and cry at her house when I've had a bad <laughs> week. Like everything about her is one of those people in my life that mothers me. And so, Christy, I feel like it's appropriate that we're having this conversation here almost on the eve of Mother's Day because... Because we tend to think it has to be like your actual mother, which I know the day can be a bit of a loaded day for some people. But I just want to acknowledge at the outset that there are people in my life Mm. who have mothered me who are not, in fact, my actual mother. And I'm so grateful. Hmm, That is really good to hear. I did not expect you to start the conversation in that way. (laughs) And that is really, really lovely and beautiful and take some pressure off, too, to remember that um, yeah, whatever our situation with our mom, that we can be mothered in other ways. And also it takes, it, it's helpful for me too, because I can put a lot of pressure on myself. Like, what kind of mom am I? How am I feeling? My children, you know, which is like often <laughs> the narrative in my head. Like, right. how, you know, how am I letting them down today? I don't know why, but that, that narrative. And so, Oh, how good to hear that from a friend to think, no, no, in ways that I may not even see or recognize. I I am um, putting out some good mothering love into the world. Thank you. <laughs> yes, thank you. And so listeners, if you're here today, we wanted to just unpack a conversation about motherhood, maybe in a little different of a way than you're expecting to take some of the pressure off as you head into this week, because It's true. The topic is fraught. Whether you are a mom or not has all its own hard, implicit conversations. And then how you feel about your own mother can be complicated. So today we thought we'd untangle some of that. I mean, not perfectly. There'll still be some snarls at the end. (laughs) But we're coming from two different places. Mm -hmm. So for context, my mom got sick when I was 16 was in hospital for two years and died a week to the day after I turned 18. I'm 40, 
Am I 47? I don't know. I'm 46 or 47 now. <laughs> my a, mom, I feel like as a good mothering friend, I should be able to tell you exactly how old you are. And yet I can't. <laughs> no, I have no idea. And then my, my mom actually passed away when she was 42. So what's strange for me is I'm, I've lived past the age my mom was, which is strange. So that's just some context. So, so I lost my mom when, when I was 18, and I have three kids of my own now. So, Christy, what's mm-hmm. your little right. mothering so, backstory? Yeah, my mom is still living. I am a mother to four children. Um, but part of my story is that I was quite young when I got married and left home, like actually very young. And so was, you know, pretty independent from my parents at a young age and moved around with my husband and have always lived very far from my mom. So I actually have not seen my mom since it's been almost a year. She and my dad came to visit last June for my birthday, um, which is a sweet thing that they have often done. They've often managed to get somewhere where I am (laughs) if it's around my birthday. But yeah, now it's been a year and, um, you know, just living so far. I I think even if you don't want it to, even if you stay in touch, like that does... um, certainly impact the relationship and shape it. So, you know, I've never had that kind of relationship with my mom as an adult where we are just in and out of each other's lives, you know, and I have sometimes looked at friends who have that and thought, huh, what would what would that be like? That's just very different. But that hasn't been my experience. But I'm grateful that um, my mom is still in my life. Um, but she's a busy mom and grandma. So she was mother to four kids. I was the oldest of four. All of her kids have had lots of kids. So um while she is very busy in her mothering and her grandmothering, <laughs> it's like spread out amongst us because we are such a big clan. So understandably, like I can't, um, you know, lay claim to like too much of her time. I, well, I mean, she has so much attention and love for all of us. And I know um, she prays for us and thinks of us every day. But just in terms of like access regular, like, you know, I've got to share her with a lot of people. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. And I, we thought today some of the stories we would share are not maybe what you typically hear about, like what it feels like to be a mother, how you think about your kids or how you want to be celebrated for Mother's Day or struggles you might have about being a mom. We thought we'd take it back, you know, <laughs> rewind to how we are formed by our own mothers or in some cases lack thereof Mm -hmm. in my case and just unpack some of that because I think as we get older ourselves one of the things that's been interesting for me and Christy I wonder if you've had this experience with your kids is our our oldest right now he'll turn 17 in August he has started to ask what I think of as like origin story questions. Mm -hmm. You know, he loves comic books. He loves Batman. He loves superheroes. And he's sort of asking his parents their own origin stories to do with our parents. I've been so, I guess, impressed at his curiosity to understand his origin story and recognizing it actually has to go back further than just his own parents because he's trying to understand how we were shaped or why we were shaped in a certain way by our parents. Mm -hmm. And it's caused us to think about, to think about that more. And, and so obviously our parenting is informed by how we were parented. But I think what's really struck me is as my son starts to come of age now, I realize he has the advantage of now starting to know me, not just as a child, but getting to a place where he'll know me as an adult. 
And there's something about knowing your mother that way that that I would hope softens some of our understanding. In some cases, it might make us more critical of, (laughs) of some of their choices. But for me, it feels like a place that's a bit of a black hole because because my mom was gone from the age of 16 and then died when I was 18. I never had that. So I never knew her outside of my mom. Mm-hmm. And and also like mom to young kids version mm-hmm, of a mom, mm-hmm, yeah. right? And so I have friends now who have adult children and just really deep friendships with their children that I that I never got to experience. Right. And so part of what I've spent time doing is mining my own stories in our family about my mom to try to construct an understanding of her outside of motherhood. Mm-hmm. Like, who, who was she and what was her childhood like? The questions Jackson's asking of us. Mm-hmm. I feel more curious now because I do think in trying to make sense of our own stories, recognizing our mom's origin stories is helpful just yeah. on a lot of different levels. Yeah. I think that's true. I had a weird moment of that, actually, I think just this week, or I, I guess it was right around Easter. So um, my mom's mom, my grandmother, passed away many years ago. I, I'm pretty sure I was in college. I was a college student, so quite a few years ago. Um, but I, I knew her well as a kid, and she even lived with us for a time. Um, but of course, what I know is grandmother, and I know the end of her life, and I just know some harder, sadder things about the, you know, that point of her life and the end of her life. But my mom sent me and my sisters, like, texted us an old photo that she'd found because it showed my mom and her sister when they were very small, um, like younger than the kids I have, so like little girls. And it was on Easter, and they were in these beautiful little frilly Easter dresses. And there were, it was hard to tell, but they each had a big Easter basket. And then on the little table in front of them, there seemed to be, it was an old photo, it was really hard to make out, but there seemed to be all this like little bunny decor or something. <laughs> like, But it was like Easter exploded, and it was just all over these two little girls. It was adorable. And so my mom sent this photo and said, my mom, your grandmother, she really knew how to do Easter. <laughs> and I looked at that and it really, all of a sudden I was like, oh my gosh, my grandmother, she was a young mom. She was a mom of young kids who went all out for Easter in a way that frankly puts me to shame. I have never <laughs> done anything like that. There's no bunny decor in my house. My daughters did not have new dresses for Easter Sunday. Like we're just, it's like business as usual, at least as far as that goes. Um, I even like totally dropped the ball on Easter baskets. It was very sad. Yeah. (laughs) Well, you did host a (laughs) 3,000 Easter egg hunt. So let us not forget that. And actually I had to think of that. I had to remind myself, Christy, you did that instead. You can't do everything. But it was such a weird moment of like flipping the narrative on its head and through almost the portal of this photograph, getting a glimpse into some aspect of my own grandmother as a mother, of my own mother as a little girl, and engaged in in something that felt both very familiar, like that that desire that I do share to like make a special holiday for my children and um, uh, make things beautiful for them. Like I do share that. And to see that, I thought, oh my goodness, my grandmother was that way too. But of course, I never knew that that part of her, that side of her. Um, and it just, it was, it literally felt like this little portal into the past where I was seeing something and, and almost constructing a story that was very different from the story I would normally tell about who my grandmother was or 
you know, my mom's life, my mom's childhood, um, which I had never imagined is filled with frilly dresses and bunny baskets and so on. <laughs> so, yeah, it's kind of crazy to like be an adult and sort of rewrite things like that or get a glimpse, um, especially when that person is, you know, is no longer with you. I had a similar experience. I was um, just sorting through boxes and clearing things out the way we do. And you have things you've stored away for decades. And then you wonder what what is actually in this box yeah. that's moved with me you know, to every house. And there was a letter I found that my mom had written. I don't know why it was a standalone piece of paper because it, it reads like a diary entry. And it, she had beautiful penmanship, sort of like round cursive. And she must have been like 15 or 16 when she wrote it. And she says, she's writing to herself. It's like a diary entry. And she says, I finally know what I want to do with my life. And so I'm reading it like, oh, wow, like what is the thing? And she says, tonight we just saw Haley Mills in the parent trap. Do you remember the original? And she talks about how much she loved it. And she said, so here it is. I want to be. And then she's got like colon, colon, colon. And then all caps, a famous actress. (laughs) And she says, I'm going for it. You know, it's just like this precious (laughs) dream and insight into her. And she did, in fact, study theater at university. And she went on to be a writer. You know, she was always... She always dreamed of writing a book. She was an amazingly gifted writer. She wrote poetry, but she was never published. Her job, uh, actually her working job was she worked as a translator, translating academic journals or books from Afrikaans into English. So she always used her writing. And I remember at family gatherings, and I actually had my cousin sent to me recently, my mom would write these just astonishing poems that she would frame for people like as a wedding gift. Oh, wow. And I know that can sound cheesy because I have also been the recipient of poetry that should not have been written. That is not good. <laughs> and I, why would you ever send that to somebody? You know what I mean? It's like that, that compulsion to write a little cute rhyming couplet. But she would write like literary works of art and, um, I mean, her most famous one that my cousin, like how many years ago is it she and her husband have been married now for like 35 years. And my mom wrote it for them and gave it to them at their engagement party. And it's about, it's called the Baobab. Mm. And it's just this astonishing literary work that our family still talk about that my mom wrote. And so thinking about her outside of the woman who would forget to pick me up from school, she was terrible at that, or <laughs> you know, refused to drive me places because she said I had a bike and I could just go by myself, or, you know, wasn't crafty, burned supper all the time, like in many ways seemed disinterested in my life is how it felt to me, which is unfair because I don't I don't think that's accurate, but it's sort of the 16-year-old's view of it. That's the only lens I have. But then when I read a poem like that that she wrote, I am aware, I think what I'm trying to say is of her deep internal life that as children, we don't actually have access to yeah. in our parents. Yeah. We only see the external trappings of Easter baskets or dresses that they bought us or how they didn't show up for the school play, what we don't have access to is the deep well of who they who they are as humans, as cre- created in the image of God, who have their own longings and fears and sadnesses. And recently when I was going through those photos, I found a picture of my mom. It's a black and white photograph, and I think she's got to be like in fifth grade maybe. 
And I also have a photograph of myself from when I think I was in first or second grade. And there's so many similarities in the pictures. I have them both up on my bookshelf. And my mom is wearing actually glasses almost exactly like Christy is wearing right now, which are sort of back in vogue, a little <laughs> bit of a cat's eye shape toward the end and metal frames. And um, I remembered a story she once told us. She talked about how when she was in school, she was really, really smart and she would win every year, like whatever awards they were giving out for poetry, but she would also win for like math or history. And because her father... It's funny how those facts I had completely forgotten. And, and when I saw this photo of her, they like came rushing back into my mind. Like I remember her just casually telling us one day her dad was a manager of a bank and I guess it was a big chain of banks. And so they moved quite regularly because he was always brought in to do I don't know what at these banks. But because of that, they moved a lot. So she went to like, I don't feel like eight or nine different high schools. She moved all the time. So she was always the new kid. She was really uncomfortable in her body and always talked about how her mom wasn't very good at helping her girls figure out how to dress or do their hair or anything. So she already felt awkward. And then she was the new girl who won all the awards. And so because she felt self-conscious, she said when she walked on stage to go and get the awards, she didn't want to make eye contact with anyone because she felt so nervous and embarrassed. And so she would kind of just keep her head up like like looking above everybody's heads, but it was interpreted that mm. she thought she was better than everybody. And she was like snooty. And so people then would make fun of her for being this nerdy, snooty, superior girl when actually she just felt deeply insecure and embarrassed that she would win all these awards. And I guess stories like that, dear listener, is what we are encouraging you maybe to pay attention to this week about your mom, because that tells me a lot about her, tells me that I get my love of writing from somewhere. <laughs> I get that gift of putting words together from somewhere. I had a mom who had a deep internal world where she loved books and stories and felt more comfortable there than she did around people necessarily. And she struggled to feel at home in her body as a woman. And it was a great reminder when I saw that little black and white picture. I was like, oh, that's the girl who grew up to become my mom, <laughs> who wasn't so great at helping me figure out how to do my yeah. hair or my makeup <laughs> and wasn't always great at communicating to me like, oh, you did that so well, or I'm so proud of you, or I love this about you because she didn't know how to speak those things over herself. All of that is helpful to me because... I don't get to still have conversations with my mom. She's not around. But for those of you who might be estranged from your mom or have lost your mom too, as you know, it does not stop us from having conversations in our heads with our moms. Mm -hmm. And those can be quite critical conversations. And so seeing little baby Joe, her name was Joe. She named me after herself. Seeing that picture has just given me, I guess, a grace for the the person, the girl who lived inside the woman who became my mother. Mm -hmm. That's so good. It's good to remember our mothers outside of who they are in their relationship to us, but just as separate people. And uh, I can remember that actually one of our favorite, um, so me and my sisters growing up, one of our favorite toys, weirdly, <laughs> and I actually think that in my memory, we begged my mom for a long time to let us play with them. And for a long time, she refused because she told us rightly that we would just break them, which 
I feel sure we ended up doing because um, I don't think she still has them. But the toys were all these trophies that she had won as a teenager who um, was very, um, her life really revolved around, um, she was growing up in California, uh, Western horse riding. And oh so these goodness. trophies were for like rodeos. They were for barrel racing and things. And so they would all... Yeah, so they would all have like a little horse and rider on top. And, you know, they're trophies, yeah. like exactly what you picture, the little right. sort of plasticky, but the gold and the, you know, um, with the heavy base, but on top, little horse and rider. And I don't know why we wanted to play with them. That part, is, I have no memory of what we actually did with these trophies. But clearly, as little kids, we were just fascinated with them and thought that they would make great playthings. And um, I think eventually I can remember trophies like that being... In our rooms or in our toy boxes, but now like missing the little horse and rider <laughs> tops and <All> right. <laughs> the little name plates, you know, that had my mom's name on it. And of course, her name before, you know, she was married. And so if anything, those trophies were like a sign that my mom was not like us and had lived a very different life. And, you know, I was growing up um, in a very different place. And uh, my mom was born in San Francisco. So occasionally we would make these epic road trips to visit what felt like her country, <laughs> you know, her land um, that we had no like ongoing relationship with because we were growing up in Texas. Um, and so she was from a place that was so different and she had done these things that were so different. And um, it's interesting to think now, like how that may have shaped, uh, you know, how I saw her or even, you know, how I was growing up in relation to her. Um, but in the end, I think it was good to have that really early knowledge of like, she has lived a life before I ever came along. <laughs> and it is very different than anything I've known. And I can remember being a kid and being so impressed and seeing photographs and thinking, wow, my mom used to like race horses around barrels. That's just wild. I've never uh, done anything like that. <laughs> I cannot imagine you doing that. No. <laughs> I can imagine your son, Bo, maybe doing something like yeah. that. I could totally see him doing that. He's got that wild side. Yeah. yeah I think, um, you know, as you as we approach Mother's Day and there are complicated feelings involved, I just think it is helpful to remind ourselves that we tend to live our lives because obviously we are the main character. Like we are the protagonist <laughs> of our stories. But when it comes to motherhood, it's more complicated than that because your story is now overlapping with somebody else's story. And as a child, you're so used to being the protagonist always in your mother's story. But what's helped me as I try to reconcile with questions I have from my mom or things I can't figure out or choices she made is remembering that she was the protagonist in her own story and that mm -hmm. I don't, I just don't have access to a lot of it. And, and really, um, Asking God to show me, tell me, teach me about this woman that he loved and that he gave me as my mother. And last night I was lying in bed next to my 11-year-old. And Chrissy, I, it's funny how when we started the show, you said, when you think about motherhood, often there's like that narrative of guilt, like, what have I done wrong recently? Isn't it interesting? <laughs> Our question isn't, wow, it's been a really great week. You know, look how great yeah, I did. Yeah. Like, look at these awesome things <laughs> no. I did for these kids. Like, nobody starts there. And I have had conversations with you where I've cried and just said, I am not the right mother for my daughter because she's this extreme extrovert. She's a doer. She wants to talk and go, go, go. And I want to sit, sit, sit and be quiet, quiet, <laughs> quiet and just watch shows, shows, shows. Like, that is what I want. And, and you said, I'll never forget, we were in the kitchen 
making coffee at your house. And I was like so concerned about how I'm not the right fit for this daughter. And you just said to me, no, that isn't how God matches us. If he has given Zoe to you, it's on purpose. It's because there's parts of you Zoe needs and parts of Zoe you need. And last night I was lying in bed next to Zoe, tucking her in. And she and I had spent all this time, one of our well, I don't know if it's one of her favorite, one of my favorite things to do is if we're listening to songs together, I will constantly pause the music to decode the lyrics with her. Like, I just love, I love it. I love doing that. And so she was telling me about a poem they'd read in class and she was so frustrated with the experience of it and how the teacher had made them do all this and it seemed boring. And I said, wait, 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 like poems are lyrics. Like that is what poems are. And so we had this whole conversation about poetry and about lyrics and then and about slam poetry, like things I'm interested in. And as we were lying in bed, she was just hugging me and just saying, I just feel like you're the best mom in the whole world. Like I can't imagine having a different mom. And I, of course, responded, oh, honey, I worry all the time that I am not the right mom for you. And she just like her little eyes to just put her hands on me and just said, no way, mom, you're the exact right mom for me. Wow. I say that to anybody listening who worries that they are not the right mom or that they didn't get the right mom. That that even if our relationships with our moms are painful, that there is an intention, an intentionality there that requires us to be curious enough to ask questions of God. Because I do think that buried there is something that he always was meaning to give us. And and maybe it got lost in how the gift arrived. But I, I really do believe that there's there are deeper stories in who our moms are than maybe we we experience just at like that surface skin level of pain or appreciation that, th- that there's more down there. Mm-hmm. And, and it just yeah. I guess it does take kind of a holy curiosity to to ask more than just why wasn't she X, Y, or Z? Or why am I not X, Y, or Z? I don't know if that makes sense. It does, yeah. And even in the maybe the very hardest family stories where there maybe is only a hole, a black hole, um, even now I take comfort in something I heard many years ago when I think I was either I hadn't had children or probably I was a very new mom. Um, I heard this woman speak once at church and she just said, um, she was further along as a mom and she just said, look, we will not do this perfectly, maybe not even all that well. So I just remind myself that in in any way that I am in an inadequate as a parent to to this child, that that is just space where God can can meet them, can be present, can bring healing. Like that's room for God. And so actually, this idea that I somehow need to be everything, I need to be perfect, is is not even necessarily the best. And I remember sort of holding on to that then as a lifeline of like, okay. Okay, like even if I fail, which of course I have in many different ways, um, it was really helpful to hear that. Um, but yeah, I, I'm I'm just grateful for this prompt to like, you know, maybe even do something that for someone like me, whose mom is still here, who is still just very much a presence that I could text right now, um, that even that nearness maybe can keep us from remembering things or reflecting on things that it would be helpful um, to remember. And I do love remembering that the woman who grew up in such different circumstances for me um, is still in my life. And I can still like reach out and ask those stories and like with her access some of that past the way that she did when she sent us that, that photo this week and to not maybe miss that opportunity and 
I don't know, I guess I'm realizing talking to you of like, oh, what I actually have and how good it is and and to not um, squander that. And, um, and and that seems like a good thing to, to remember as well as we head into Mother's Day. Um, and maybe also to to not be so hard on myself. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah? I think so. And, you know, and for those of you, I'll just say this, who just are listening and thinking, no, there's nothing redemptive in my relationship with my mother, or she left me, I have no access, or she passed away, or she doesn't want a relationship with me, or it's so hurtful being in a relationship with her. I I get that too. I do. And I think that we can try to decode the stories of our mothers without necessarily feeling like we have to give them a free pass or that we have to be close with them. Um, I think there's space for healthy boundaries, but a curiosity to understand is always well served. It doesn't have to excuse, but it can help us because we have to figure it out if we want to continue to mother in healthy ways. That's and point. so for yeah. me, a lot of it has been, as I think about the conversations I'm having with my kids and their origin stories, because they will tell a story one day too, um, you, we, we get to decide, like we actually do get to choose what part we're going to bring <laughs> into our family story and which parts we want to say, no, that I'm going to be different in that way. And, um, and I, I do think we can bring the pain, whatever pain we have, whether it's because we aren't a mother yet or our mother hurt us, or we can bring that pain to Christ. And I love that in Scripture, in many, many places, God uses motherhood as a metaphor for himself and how he loves us. He is father and mother to us in that way. And how beautiful that he offers himself as our mother and then sets us in community of mothers. And I've often felt that way. Sometimes over the years, people have reached out to me with like a sadness for me, like a worry about me mm. that I don't have a mom. And I've often responded in surprise because I really have felt mothered. I have, I am, I can name five women right now that God has in my life where he clearly, they together, like form a mother. And I should mention my mother-in-law, who for years has been that presence for me here in the States, but um, she's not local to us. So he, there are local friends, mentors, women in my life who have mothered me. And so you're, it, it's okay to also decide you don't have to receive all your mothering from your biological mother. I think there are communities of women around us that God gifts us to mother us, mm -hmm. like Christy. Aww. <laughs> and something else that I like in what you're sharing, Lisa Joe, is this, that maybe sometimes what makes this hard is that I know for myself, like I'm trying to grasp the whole story, mm. the whole story of who I am as a mom or what my relationship with a particular child is like, or the whole story of my mom or um, like the whole big thing, like and it it maybe is too much and trying to hold the whole thing may just be impossible but what what you what you have focused on in trying to understand your mom and trying to connect with her in ways that are possible for you is like you're focusing on on what can sound like a negative word, but I don't mean it in a negative way. You're focusing on little fragments, a photo here, a letter there, you know, like little details. And I think actually, you know, here as a writer, I'll speak like the thing in writing, whether you're, I'm writing something or I'm reading something, the thing that 
brings characters to life or brings the story to life are the concrete details. So I can remember um, a wonderful essay that a writer friend of mine, Laura Brown, wrote. I wonder if it's even available online. I, I don't know. If it is, I'd, I'd love to link to it, but I'll have to check. Because um, she, she won awards for this fabulous essay that she wrote about her mom who had passed away. And it was called something like 50 Things About My Mother. And the thing that made the essay so delightful is that she wasn't trying to say, here is who I lost. Here is what is missing. She just zoomed in on like all these random quirky little details that you would think if you just saw one, like that's unimportant. That doesn't matter. But in amassing them into a list almost in this essay, a portrait of a woman did emerge and a portrait of loss and of love and, and everything did emerge, even though she wasn't trying to do that. She was approaching it just through these little fragments. It, it was just really lovely. And and I think I think that actually is an approach that that we could all benefit from, whether or not we've lost our mom, um, as you have and as Laura had. Um, but but to like focus in on those little details. I mean, I couldn't believe it when I saw that Easter photo, how that one little blurry image seemed to like open up new worlds of understanding um, that were really surprising in a way that when I'm trying to like tell the whole story or grasp the whole story, maybe I'm 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 slanting it too much in a negative way or I'm pushing it in one direction or the other because I'm trying to um forcing it into a theme or something. Whereas just the little details can really shimmer, I think, like like little jewels and to just let them. So if you if we can't grasp the whole big story, if we don't know if I don't know who am I as a mom, like let that down and and just and 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 let the little details be enough and to focus on the little things. And maybe that's our way into the story and maybe that's our way like um back into relationship if that's what needs to happen. But just the real importance of those little shimmering moments, shimmering details. You know, I, I think we put maybe too much pressure on all of us if we say, well, yes, here was this good thing my mom did, but then here was this bad thing. And the bad thing is clearly worse. So I can't even like the good thing, what is the point of even paying attention to that? Because it's so overshadowed by this hard thing or this bad thing. Well, why do we do that? Why can't we just look at the at the little <laughs> shimmering thing? You know, I feel like a literary analog to this. And I know you know this writer as well, um, although I think you've chosen not to read her memoirs, which I fully respect <laughs> because they're difficult, hard subject matter. Um, but I'm talking about Mary Carr. Right. But I have read all of the, I've watched all the interviews with her. I've read all yes. the articles she's written. I've read her book on how to write memoir. I've read the opening <laughs> chapters of her books. I just haven't made it all the yeah. way through because they are so difficult. Yeah, they are difficult. So she's a poet and a teacher, and she has a great book about writing memoir. Um, but she has these, really, she, I think, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, really kind of kicked off a whole wave of memoir writing. Um because of these memoirs, a series of three that she wrote about her growing up. And, you know, no, this is not really a spoiler alert or anything. Like, it was bad. She went through some really hard stuff. And and the consistent character in these stories is her is her mother, um, who was a bad mom, let's just say. And yet, the thing that amazed me about those books, having read them, is that you get to the end where 
her mom is still a character and she has a relationship with her. And while part of me as a reader is thinking, oh my gosh, how can you have a relationship with this woman who let you down and failed you in such profound ways? And yet you do, but but where she arrived by the end of the book is that she wasn't she wasn't trying to offer some all encompassing explanation of like was my mom a good mom or a bad mom like she she wasn't even trying to do that she was just letting the details speak for themselves and the thing is there were some really terrible details and there were some that were really lovely and really allowed her mom's humanity and even love to emerge and she wasn't trying to integrate those. She was just letting them be all these kind of crazy fragments. And um, I think maybe there's something in that for all of us. Whether or not you read Mary Carr's memoirs, it's okay. You don't have to. (laughs) Uh, But that is something that I learned reading her story that was really beautiful. Yeah, I agree. I, I think with my own mom, I've tended to be harder on her than she probably deserves. And if she was still around, I think it would actually ease a lot of the things that I feel critical of that I haven't had a chance to talk to her. But every now and again, you're right, like a funky memory of her just pops <laughs> into my head. And there, it's such a tiny snapshot, but it's a powerful reminder. But there were these really funny, great moments. I remember vividly one day when I was a teenager, it must have been right before she got sick, I was giving her a hard time about something. I don't even remember what it was, but I was dissatisfied with her. Let's put it that way. (laughs) And we were in the living room. My brothers were there. My dad was there. And my mom, you know, she wanted to be an actress, right? She tended toward the melodramatic. I'll never forget, like in the midst of whatever tirade I was having, she just flung her arms open wide and kind of presented her chest to me and was like, I know. Look at me. I'm the worst mom ever. I'm terrible. (laughs) Why don't you just walk all over me? And then she like put, she lay down on the living room floor and just started yelling out loud, just go on, walk all over me, walk on your mother. (laughs) And I mean, it was so shocking and so funny. Like I started laughing so hard at her melodrama, which was matching (laughs) probably my teenage level of melodrama as she insisted I come and walk all over her since that's what I was doing anyway. (laughs) It was like such a great moment. And I realized in those moments, like she was showing up as her whole self, not just a mom, like she was funny and dramatic and recognized her own failings and didn't take me or herself too seriously. And I do love that idea of zooming in on the snapshots and not being dissatisfied, saying maybe that actually satisfies something like Hmm. having these snapshots of our moms to hold on to and remind ourselves they had stories beyond us. And we'll have stories like that, too, that hopefully our kids one day (laughs) will have grace as they remember us. But as we head into Mother's Day, we are just we're grateful for our moms. I'll just say it out here. I'm grateful for my mother-in-law, and I'm grateful for my friends who mother me. I'm grateful for the chance to have a daughter to mother, and of course, my sons, who I love very much. Um, But I'm also grateful that motherhood isn't the whole of me. Yeah, that's true. So here's a, a question for you. I'm going to put you on the spot, Lisa Joe, and maybe we'll end with this. If, like my mom, had her trophies of, from barrel racing, the little horse and rider, <laughs> what would be on your, your trophy that would represent who you are apart from being a mom? So not the mom trophy, but the just the Lisa Joe trophy. What might be on it? I know. I'd be really sad if it was just like the Netflix logo. Like that would be <laughs> terrible. <laughs> 
my greatest fears is that that's all my children will remember about me is how much I like to watch movies with them. (laughs) Maybe. So maybe there'd be a little logo of like a mom with a box of popcorn and her arm around the kid next to her, like sharing the experience of stories. Because it would be like, have to be popcorn, but then like maybe like a music note or radio too. Because like all those things like movies and stories and lyrics and music and dancing in the kitchen, like... That, that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I think maybe I'd be like, maybe there'd be like a little, you know, dance mom picture because of all just wanting to pull my kids into stories and music and decode with them what we're seeing in pop culture around us. Mm-hmm. What about you? I guess on my trophy, I mean, it is, there is this ambivalence to share because I think mine would have like flowers growing or something like that's yeah. clearly my thing is, is gardening and growing beauty in every sense and the truth is yeah my kids don't necessarily (laughs) in verbal ways like appreciate that or care about that and yes I'm I'm just gonna say here that that is okay Mm -hmm. because I do that well and I am bringing value to the world and maybe one day you know some version of that trophy will come to memory for them and they'll say yeah this is who my mom was and this is you know, it's different from me, but it's a very good thing. And, and she was her own person and she grew flowers. So <laughs> she grew flowers. She and they were formed by it. I think that's part of what we all learn. We we are formed by our mothers and by their passions. And so I'm grateful to be formed by your friendship in your garden and to sit mm-hmm. under your trees and to talk books and movies and music with you. So I'm grateful to have a friend who's like a mother and in small ways uh, feel like I get to sit down with my own mom mm-hmm. in the shade of your garden. I am happy to be that person. Thank you, friend. 